Tucker doctors literally standing around my deathbed saying, well, you know, we've done everything we can do, we can do for him. We followed our protocol and addicted him to opiates for his entire adult life. So, you know, just let him die. Nobody was interested in helping me. I mean, as far as from the, uh, from the healthcare delivery system, nobody was interested in helping me do that. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our last and final episode of the year. I am Christina D'Arcangelo, and with me is my guest, Dr. David Dawson. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Dawson. I'm so privileged and happy to have you here today as my last guest of the year. Well, it's good to be here, Christina. Thank you so much. So, Dr. Dawson, why don't you give everyone, our viewers and listeners, because you can listen to our podcast as well as view it on YouTube and otherwise, why don't you give our viewers and listeners a little bit of your background and how we kind of met and then we can kind of get into some of the cool stuff that we're doing um, AVOM, Spectral, and Affinity Patient Advocacy, because we work across all three of those organizations together. Sure. Um, well, basically, I got into this this um, this industry um, kind of serendipitously. Um, what what it is, the way it kind of worked is, I have a I have a um, a form of muscular dystrophy, and the and and I was diagnosed when when, when I was four. The way that's traditionally treated is through an increasingly strong series of powerful opiates. So what happened with me was um, the, the, the type of, of um, muscular dystrophy that I have manifests itself as pain, uh, usually right around high school, which is when I began to experience like major pain from the, uh, from the uh, condition. And, um, and so, um, my, my doctors, um, prescribed, they started me on codeine. I developed a tolerance to that pretty quickly. Um, of course, the response was, oh, that's okay. We've got plenty of opiates to choose from. What we'll do is we'll change the opiate and increase the dose. So throughout my entire adult life, I, um, I developed a tolerance to every opiate imaginable. I went through a pan of um, hydrocodone, hydro, um, oxycontin, um, basically every opiate you can think of. I've been through, developed a tolerance to, to every one of them, and um, and they kept just changing the opiate and increasing the dose. Finally, they increased the dose so high, and, and by high I mean 500 milligrams of morphine three times a day, um, and that caused me to suffer a stroke. That's how I lost the use of my left arm. That's also the last day that I walked. I was playing golf the weekend, the Friday before all this occurred. So, um, so at that point, they, they, the doctors were like, okay, you're done. Uh, uh, you're, you're going to die within six months. We're going to put you into hospice and, uh, and we will ensure that you go out comfortably. Um, we will, we will keep increasing the intravenous morphine until you stop breathing. That's the protocol that we are, we, we are, we follow. Now, I, I at that time, and so we're, we're talking doctors literally standing around my deathbed 
saying, well, you know, we've done everything we can do, we can do for him. We follow our protocol and addicted to opiates for his entire adult life. So, you know, just let him die. Um, now, at the time, I wasn't that, I wasn't really particularly interested in dying. So I started doing some research. And I, I told, I told my doctors, okay, I'm done. Um, I understand what your protocol is. And, uh, but I'm going to try something different. I'm going to, I'm going to look at alternative medicines. I have a background in molecular biology and I'm going to, I'm going to look at, first off, I'm going to look at medicinal cannabis. And of course, their response was, Oh, no, no, no. That's good. No medical applications whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, well, I, I understand your protocol, but, um, I'm going to, I'm going to try this. And so I, I, um, left hospice, um, against, you know, doctor's orders and, and, uh, and essentially the, 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 the medicinal cannabis worked. Um, I, it took me a few weeks to wean myself off of the opiates, off of the morphine. And, uh, and basically I haven't taken a, a pharmaceutical medicine medication since 2010. So um, imagine this from our viewer standpoint. I want them to understand. So you get out of hospice, you can't walk, you've suffered a stroke. Right. So you can't use a whole side of your body. You can't use the left side of my body. You're trying to come off of opiates at the same time, which is a dreadful experience to detox for multiple years of utilization of opiates, not yeah, to your own avail. years of, of opiate addiction, yeah. Now you're going back home, right, to try yeah. and fight all this by yourself. Right. Yeah, because because you know nobody was interested in helping me. I mean, as far as from the uh, from the healthcare delivery system, nobody was interested in helping me do that. I mean, I I even had my insurance company said, "Oh well, we're under no obligation to cover you for anything, including your hospice bill, because." You didn't follow medical protocol. Right. You went against the grid. Right. Um, so this, this is, this is where, where I'm at. And, and, uh, and you and, wrote a book. You wrote a book yeah, too. I've written books now. I wrote, I wrote medical cannabis, the definitive guide. That's, that's a textbook for the medical cannabis patient. That's, that's how it was written. Uh, but uh, I've had it, I've had it stolen so often by doctors. Um, because doctors want to want to know this stuff, but they're but basically the hospitals that they they work for don't want, don't allow them to learn this. Yeah, it, it it's kind of an interesting situation they're in because if they're a federally funded hospital or right. university, yeah, the hospital could lose their federal funding. Exactly. So, and, like in Pennsylvania, they developed within our program Chapter Twenty. So basically. We specifically have a program for research with the universities here. So Penn, Drexel, Thomas Jefferson, uh, CHOP is affiliated with Penn. So all the big ones, you know, are able to do research here in Pennsylvania. But the interesting thing here is that I barely see any research coming out of these universities. Yeah. And, and, you know, like we've reached out to them you know, through Affinity Bio Partners when this first kicked off, because we're like, hey, we can help you. You don't always have the CRO services that you need in academic 
and we could be your partner. We know how to do this. Let us help you. And it was like time and time and time again, kept to talk to these people and it's right. not going anywhere. And I don't understand. Yes. Yeah. Once you get to the top, then they're, they're like, well, we could lose our federal funding if we do something like that. And only 13% of medical schools um, even mentioned the endocannabinoid system. Right. Right. It's not, it's still not prevalent, you right. know, and, right. and that's, that's what's so important about the work that we do together um, exactly. as, as a team, because, you know, with your scientific background and my clinical background, it's like the perfect score, right? Because, and also we're both patients. Um, we are different patients, but the, the good thing about it, I almost said cool, because it kind of is cool, is that we come, when we come together, we have different things so that are wrong with us and we get into spin outs in acute states with various things, but we understand more because we're patients ourselves. Right. I mean, trying to do this and not be a patient, I don't understand how you could do that because you don't really well, understand. It's, the, the research is out there. It's just, it's done in other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, like England is, has, has come out with a lot of research. Of course, Israel is the, is the, the Mecca. everybody thinks about. Right. Um, the Middle East is doing some amazing things. But the problem is, is how they collect their data, right? You and right. I both know right. they're doing weird things with their data. It's not in a validated system like we have at Spectral, right? Where right. we can collect well, data that, that could be, you know, people are using like Survey Monkey and stuff to do collect data. Right. It's like, what are you doing? Why would you use that? That's not validated. What health authority would approve your your data if you collected it with Survey Monkey? You use Survey Monkey for like, do you like those yeah, shoes? Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, you can do psychological experiments that way, but but nothing medical. Oh, no, they're not even validated. You need a medical IRB. Exactly. Exactly. And validated questionnaires like what we do. You know, when we do studies together, we find the validated questionnaires. Sometimes we get them from Mappy, you know, where we have to, you know, deal with them where they have hundreds of questionnaires, but they're validated. And the health authorities are used to those questionnaires. So why would you use, I don't understand why you would cut the corners. Yeah, I, mean, I know it's, yeah, science is weird. It this is. is science and, and the history of science. And it's, I mean, I've done a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, I, I've had a lot of academia stuff where, where you stumble into a lot of, a lot of information that people don't know. Right. And, and, Go, wow, you know, I, I can't believe. Like, for instance, um, in in night, women were not even allowed to be, participate in clinical trials um, see, it, until 1997. Ridiculous. So that I was know. that was three years after so, I graduated high school. Right. And so you're eliminating entire an entire segment Asian of population. population. Yeah. Now, how can you do that? No, it just doesn't even make sense because the FDA gives you the guidelines, right? Where you have to have certain genetics, you have to have certain age groups, right? They're very definitive about making sure that drugs and, and biologics and nutraceuticals are making, you know, going across all these different cultures and age groups and genders. So it's odd to me that it took them up to 1997 
to do something about this. Like that's not that long ago, really. Think about no. it. No. So thank God that you know at least we've progressed in that manner. And you know, speaking of progression, long way to go. Yeah, yeah. We, you know, we're working on some women's health formulas to work. You know, to start working into clinical research because we have identified that as a company that that's a true unmet medical need. Besides mental health, we have a big focus on mental health, obviously. Now to now the women's health side is starting to we're starting to push up and push into development and into clinical studies because there's not a lot of research done for women specifically. I mean you just brought up a point about clinical conduct. 1997. Here we are. It's 2021. We're going into 2022. What does women's health look like to you in the CBD space? Well, um, for for me right now, I'm my my focus in the next. Um, I guess my next focus is going to be kind of uh, uh, probably postpartum depression is is where I want to go. Also endometriosis, but postpartum depression is is one that I really am interested in focusing on because I know I know a little bit about that. I've, I've done some research on that topic in particular. I suffered uh, from it. As an offshoot of my PTSD studies. I um, I had that with Christian when I had Christian. And it was because when I had Christian, he had meconium and was not breathing. And so when they took him, when I had him, they took him from me and they started working on him, trying to help him breathe. He went off to the local, you know, in that hospital NICU, and then he ended up being transferred down to Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. So his first day, he was there at CHOP. He didn't come home for 35 days. So leaving the hospital without your kid, when you're anticipating that you're, you're going to leave with the child, um, then, then having complications, and then once he finally came home, then you're like watching him so closely to see if he's breathing, you know, um, because he still had impairment with his airways. I didn't, nobody talks about postpartum. Really? They don't. No, no. It's, well, a lot of women's issues nobody talks about. Right. They don't want that's, to. That's why we need to be going that direction respectful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we and, need to be going that because nobody else is going to do it. No, nobody else is going to do it. And, you know, I, I, you know, who actually helped me with my mo- my postpartum. It's really interesting. Was that w- when I was at the height of it, I had my wellness spa going at the same time. My CRO, Armonia, was hitting, and I'm trying to, you know, raise this baby. I never had a kid in my life before, and you know, um, and I was newly married. Um, in, you know, the previous uh, April and Christian was born February 13th. So it wasn't like I'd been married a long time. Um, my dad, believe it or not, was very instrumental because he was seeing I wasn't firing like, like I normally am on all cylinders and I was struggling and I didn't say anything to anybody. I just didn't feel well. I was tired. I was up every two hours feeding him because my son, because that's how the hospital, once again, that's how the hospital yeah. started with him. So I had to try to train him to last a little bit longer. I'm not trying to be mean, but I became, sure. I was hearing voices because I wasn't sleeping. 
um, all at all, you know, and then I'm doing all this stuff and I'm just trying to be a super mom and a good wife. And it was just so much, just so much pressure. And, um, we had a drug failure for one of my clients. I lost $3 million in 30 seconds when the stock market opened. So all of this was going on at once. Um, and my dad was like, you know what? We've got to go to the OB and try and figure out what's going on because you're not right. And so he went with me. He sat down with me and he pushed it, you know? And as I look back on it, I realized that he had dealt with my mom's mental health all, you know, and I shouldn't say dealt, but he tried to manage. I don't mean to sound insensitive when I say dealt. I don't mean that. Um, but he, it was a job for him, you know, just like we do through the advocacy firm. It's a job for us to advocate for patients. Um, so him working with me was very similar to what he was working with with my mom. And I was, I'm, I'm thankful that he like took a little bit of control for me there because I didn't have any control. And that's really upsetting. So if we can help patients get some control back and order in their lives and they feel better, especially since we're still in COVID, right? So we've got, oh, yeah. you know, we've got a lot of people upset all the time because of COVID. So yeah. can you imagine yeah. having a baby in COVID times? I mean, I know how difficult yeah. it was for me, not in COVID, you know, just because we had problems with Christian's birth, you know, um, it's just, I think this is something we need to do to help really help people that don't have a voice right now because they don't. Right. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll get it done. We'll, you know, this is just what we do. And, and you know, we're, we're, we're always successful in, in, you know, I can't say always successful, but, but. Well, it's science, right? So we're going to have some wins and we're going to have some losses. That's the way it is. (laughs) So, so we, and we're going to have tweaks, you know, we're constantly going to be tweaking things. So, you know, we just need that. We want, I guess we want the patients to understand that we're here for them. Right. And we are purposely going down this path. This wasn't a path that somebody threw in front of us that we said, Oh yeah, you know what? Let's get into that. No. We purposely this year decided we were doing this, and we started. Yeah, we saw the need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely, we we rise to the occasion to help people, and I think that's really important for people to understand is that we are not like other companies where we put money before profits before patients. We don't do that. We put patients before profits. Our products are the cheapest cost wise in the market. And, you know, we know our stuff works for 24 hours because of our independent study that we performed on our patch versus all the others that we worked on earlier this year. So we've got a product that works as far as efficacy is, 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 um, you know, a checkbox for us. And that's why we're doing the studies from a safety standpoint so that we can see what's really working in these patients. And then we monitor them remotely through our telemonitoring. It's the perfect storm. It is. Yeah, we're good. (laughs) Yeah, and that's what we're so excited about, right, is the fact that, you know, we're changing the face of medicine and healthcare, and it's done intention and purposeful, and it's done with integrity. I mean, you know, we have people contacting us all the time, right, where they want something from us or they want to buy our data. We're not for sale. <laughs> you know, yeah. we're, we're not here for that. We're here to help people. That's what we're here for. You know, so if 
somebody wants to give us some funding to do some of these studies, we're on it. We'll do it. Yeah. But yeah. you know, we're we you know we can't. We have to kind of stay on track here. Now we know where we're going. Yeah, it's been a long time coming, but we're we're well on our way. Yeah, this year. I mean, this year was a big year for the companies, right? It was. We, yeah. we rebranded Avum, Avum, and then Avum RX, which is the CBD line. We uh, we launched new websites. We looked at our pricing critically. We did the patch study. We've done we've the, studies. That we've got some studies. The observational studies. We're tracking for new studies in in 2022. You know, we, there's partnerships. We're talking with people. We've got people all over the place that want to work with us. All these clinics, you know, in Florida where you are, Dr. Dawson, and then we have the ones across the U.S. Through you know, one of our partners we can't release yet because a press release will be coming out once we close them. Hopefully today. Um, so, so we've got a lot, but we, that's because we've been doing all the right things. We don't make false claims, and we don't do right. things under the radar. We do things by the law. Yeah. Well, this has been great having you on the on the show. My last guest of the year. Uh, I I was so happy that you agreed to be on and to be my last guest um, because you know we've got a lot of stuff done this year and we don't do a good enough job patting ourselves on the backs for the stuff we do. So I appreciate everything you do with me, and I appreciate you being on today and shooting my last podcast of the year for I am Christina D'Arcangelo. It was beautiful. Thanks, thanks, Christina, for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And also, we will put in the notes where you can find Dr. Dawson's books, where you can follow him, so that if you have any questions that you want to hit Dr. Dawson up about, you can do so directly. So with that said, I would like to close our, our podcast for today, the last one of the year, with the following. Remember, we are the same. I am Christina D'Arcangelo. Thank you, everyone, for your support in 2021, and I look forward to 2022.